Look with me in Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And then David gets into personal testimony here. He says, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Now he starts talking to God. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David wrote that and it was a song. It was a song. Remember, the Psalms are not just scripture. They were actually part of the Hebrew hymn book. They were the songs of a nation. And David wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a worship song about the God of his battles. We prefer songs about love and sweetness and romance and, you know, the normal day in and day out about life. And quite honestly, in our modern generation, not too many people are writing songs that say, I thrust my enemy through so he could not rise. But David did. And it may be a little awkward for our Western sensibilities, but I, I hope that we are getting acquainted with the totality of God. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's gentle. This very psalm says so. He's kind and compassionate and patient and gracious and slow to anger and forgiving, and God is love. All of those things are true. But remember with me that the Bible also declares this. The Lord is a man of war. And the Lord does not play around. And one of the greatest things about being saved is you know that you have aligned yourself with the happy and holy side of God and are no longer a child of wrath. You've been delivered from the wrath to come. 
But we still have these day-in and day-out battles. We've got real-life battles, and that's what I want to talk to you about because I want you to recognize that he's with you, that he never leaves your side. It does not mean that he endorses everything that we think is right because there is this uh, revelation and illumination, and he exposes and changes our mind about some things. But I'm going to tell you, his paternal commitment to you doesn't disappear in the midst of your battle. When there's a Goliath coming into your valley and he's taunting you, God doesn't run and hide. And so tonight, let's look at what this can mean. And as we take these last 20 verses in Psalm 18, I want to talk to you about your current battle, or maybe the one you're heading into, or maybe the one that hopefully you're coming out of. But I'm going to give you three main things, and the first one is this. There's a necessary surrender before your battle. A necessary surrender before your battle which means that means we need to live in a state of surrender all the time because the battle is eventually going to come let me first of all define for you what what am I talking about a battle I'm just going to give you my own definition it's not in the notes but this is what I'm talking about when I think of a battle it's any force any individual or any circumstance that takes you beyond your capacity to secure a victory in your own strength It's whatever feels like a Goliath to you. Let me say it again. It's any force, any individual, or any circumstance that takes you beyond your capacity to secure a victory in your own power. And basically, it's whatever feels like a Goliath to you. And this is what David's describing. He's describing uh, in a summary 20 verses all of these battles he had gone through in his life. And so let's talk about it using his own words. First of all, I want you to remember the character of your God. I love this statement from verse number 30. It says this, David is writing and he says, this God, you can hardly keep his praise in, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all of those who take refuge in him. Who is God but Yahweh, but our God? but the Lord. And who is a rock except our God? One of the things that David tended to do in the Psalms is he would talk himself in to a clarified moment of praise. Because a lot of the Psalms that David wrote, he's talking about, oh, why are you so downcast, my soul? Lord, when will you rouse yourself? God, my enemies are coming. Lord, take care of the business. So David wrote a, I mean, he was a feeler. David wrote a lot of Psalms, and sometimes he's on a high high, and sometimes he's on a low low. But often, you'll find him talking himself into spiritual shape. And he says here, this God, my God, his ways They're confounding sometimes, they're sublime, they're over my head sometimes, but his ways, I've found out his ways are perfect. Isn't that what we learn usually when we look back at a time when we're in it, we're in the battle, we're thinking, where are you, what are you doing, how come you're not doing this, I gave you 10 things I needed you to do by Tuesday, you haven't done one of them, what are you doing, Lord? And oftentimes he's just silent and he doesn't move, and then you get nine months down the road and you look back on that same season and you say, I know what you were doing now. I see what you were doing. Now I get it. Well, David is confessing that ahead of time. He's confessing before his next battle, Lord, I'm surrendered to you because your way is perfect. Lord, you always stay true to your word. And Lord, I've learned this, that when I take my refuge in you, your covenant, your character, your commitment, when I just situate myself in you, you're like a shield to me. You keep me safe. The darts keep coming. The arrows keep flying. The grenades keep going off. The words keep stinging. The actions keep scaring me. But Lord, I am behind your shield and here I am in the midst of yet another battle and I ain't dead yet. 
And that's the testimony that David is giving. And he's saying, who else could do this except our God? But it goes on, verses 32 and 34. When we're talking about this necessary surrender before the battle, it's not only just resting in the character of God or remembering the character of God, but we, we need to learn to rest in the resources of God. Verse 32 says this, You're the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. So David's doing something that um, writing classes tell you never to do. You don't mix metaphors, but David is mixing metaphors. He's talking about, uh, at one point, he's like a deer on the top of some rocky heights, and the next thing he's talking about is, is God making his way blameless because he's given him strength, and then he's talking about God training his hands for war. So David is just seemingly just filled with this praise, and it's coming out in all these different ways, but what can we learn from it? Well, David testified that God was equipping him with strength. I want to remind us something of, of something in the natural. The way that we become stronger is by coming up against things that are stronger or heavier than our current level of strength. Some of you are gym rats. I applaud you. I used to be one. You can tell I am not one anymore. But I know what it means to build muscle. I remember. You go in and you're lifting something that is a struggle against your current muscular uh, state. That means it's literally, as you're lifting weights, you are breaking down your current muscle and it is in the aftermath of that that they build back up and when they build back up, they're stronger, they're bigger. They're, they're able to lift more the next time and that's what David's talking about. He's saying, you gave me strength for the battle. Oftentimes anxiety sets in because we have the battle, it's not going anywhere, it's wearing us down, it's eating us up, it feels like we're dying, but all it is is that you're under the weight of it, and he's actually making you stronger. Because we pray for strength, don't we? Lord, I want to be strong for Jesus. And then, all of a sudden, God puts us in a situation that is bigger than us, heavier than us, something we've not been in before, and we are freaking out. And we stop, we don't stop often to realize this is exactly how he's answering our prayer for us to learn strength for the battle. He puts you in the battle so that you have strength from the battle and prepares you for the next battle. And that's what David's here. He's saying here, he's saying, you equip me with strength. And then he says, you've made my feet like the feet of a deer and secure me on the heights. I like the King James of that. It's the uh, hinds feet on high places verse. And the picture is this, it's very interesting. It's a picture, and Israel would have had in the wilderness massive slopes. I think the lowest point in Israel is around 1,500 feet below sea level, and the highest, I think, is around 4,000 feet above sea level. So you've got some low lows and some high highs, but on those heights, you've got these slopes that are covered with rocks, and oftentimes those rocks will come tumbling down. It's a very precarious place for some human to walk. And David says, Lord, when I am in battle and I'm scaling up the rocky heights and I'm in over my head, and when I don't feel like everything beneath me is stable, Lord, somehow you cause me to keep standing. Somehow I'm able to move into places and up places and through places that in my natural strength I couldn't do. Lord, I'm like one of those deer 
one of those deer that hops on the mountains and I look at them and I wonder how do they do that? How do they not fall? And yet, Lord, when I look on my testimony, I cannot believe the heights that you've taken me to. I can't believe how you've caused me to stand when everything around me is slipping and sliding and falling and breaking. And yet here I am, Lord, you've caused me to stand. That's the testimony of so many of you that are in this room. And then it he adds this in verse 34. He said, you train my hands for war so I can bend a bow of bronze. And what David is talking about there is the supernatural strength that God provides when it's needed. You know why we're afraid sometimes in life? Because we are looking for resources for a battle that hasn't fully come to us yet. We prefer to have all those resources in hand and we want to have them in hand before the battle even gets to us. And that's not the way God always operates. God sometimes will leave you right in the midst of the battle and only give you through grace what you need for that portion of the battle that day. And friends, we don't like that because we prefer to have everything we want and need right now. And we often feel entitled to comfort and we often feel entitled to having um, uh, the, the absence of conflict but if, if God granted those kind of wishes to us, Lord, I want it peaceful, I want it easy, I want it copacetic, I want everybody to like me, I don't want any human opposition, because really, Lord, all I want to do is devote myself to you and love you and worship you and praise you. And so if you'll clear all these other people and all these other problems out of my life, you're going to have all of me. And the Lord's like, oh, you would be a terrible Christian if I did that because you would be entitled and you would be weak and you really wouldn't know how to trust me deeply because there wouldn't be much for you to trust me through. We want the absence of the battle because we assume that that's like the pinnacle of the Christian life and it's not. Not, not on this stage of it. Listen, there is a place where there won't be any battles. It's called heaven. You got to die to get there. And, and if you're still alive, then it's not your time to be in the place of no battles. It's your time to know the God of your battles. And that's what David is testifying here. And so we, when we're talking about this necessary, remember, uh, this necessary surrender, we've got to remember his character. We've got to rest in the resources. He's actually making you strong in the battle right now. He's giving you incremental resources for the incremental battle. And that one-on-one -on -one endowment, that it's his pleasure to meet you where you are with what you need for that part of the battle, instead of just making the battle go away. But then we have to do something that sometimes we have a hard time. We've got to reflect on our history with God. You know what you, the best thing for us to do? Well, let me, just, let me just use David's word. David gets historical. He starts talking about, oh, I remember how God works. He says this, you have given me, past tense, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me, past tense. Your gentleness, past tense, made me great. Now, you gave me, past tense, a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. What is that? David is strengthening himself by remembering his personal history with God. He's able to, in the present battle, he's able to look back at the past battles. And he's able to take comfort that the God who was with him in the past battles is still his God who's going to be with him in the present battle. Now, some of you are new to the faith and you don't yet have a history that you can look back to. But this is what I want to encourage you. If you're in a battle and you don't really have a history of God coming through for you in battles that you're aware of, then I want to say start making history with him in this battle. Start believing that he's for you. He's equipping you. He's strengthening you. 
And for those of you that have been walking with the Lord through many battles in life, and maybe you're in a fresh one, or maybe this is the most intense one, or maybe it's of a different variety, and you've never quite had to find God in a situation like you're in right now, I just want you to remember, it's the same God. And your new battle did not take him by surprise. He, it didn't sneak up. It may have snuck up on you. It did not sneak up on him. And this is what he's saying. He's saying to you, do you remember how I came through for you then? Do you remember how frightened you were then? Do you remember how I proved myself to you? Do you remember what you learned? Do you remember the, the spiritual prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T? Do you remember how it profited you? Do you remember what you gained in that deep, dark experience that you went through because you learned that I would be there? He's saying, draw from that well right now and refresh yourself today. And so that's part of what we've got to do in the midst of a battle. We've got to have that necessary heart surrender before the battle. And because I don't ever know when my battles are coming, how do I apply this? Then I always live in a necessary surrender. Because whether the battle is hot and heavy and coming in close or whether the battle is some, somewhere way out there on the horizon, I never know when it's going to land right on my doorstep. So what do I do? I stay surrendered, resting in the resources of God, um, remembering the character of God and, and reflecting on my history with God, knowing that he has not changed and he will never leave nor forsake me. So David's going to go on a little bit further. Let me bring you to the second of the three points. This is probably more helpful for those of you that are in a battle right now. And my guess is, is that at least half the room's in some form of a battle. And again, I'm defining a battle as any person, circumstance, or um, any individual, any force, or any circumstance that takes you beyond your human capacity to secure a victory in your own power. And so if you're in a battle, let's talk about the undeniable presence of God in the battle or during the battle. Verses 37 through the beginning of verse number 39, David testifies that God had provided a power, a supernatural spiritual power of endurance for him. This is what David says. Now watch this. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through. That's a warrior description he got their his sword in him he, he killed them and so that they were not able to rise they fell under my feet and now look what he does he says i'm going to praise you for it for you equipped me with strength for the battle now why is this important um i think most people when they think of spiritual warfare they think in a defensive mindset god where's the devil the devil's coming. I know the devil's showing up. He's, he's after me. The devil's on my back. Here's he back here. And most people live their Christian life in a deep defensive hot heart posture. And this is the thought is, I, I got to fight against the world because it's coming for me and my family, my kids, my spouse. I, I, I got to fight against the devil because he's the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he wants to steal and kill and destroy. And so it's, it's a constant defensive posture. And David, in this psalm, is telling us something different than that. While we should defend our lives, our family, our loved ones, our territory in the, in the kingdom, David's saying, no, I actually went after my enemy. 
I actually went on the offense. I pursued my enemies and I overtook them and I did not turn back until they were dead, until they were consumed. And then it gets a little graphic. He's like, yeah, I took my sword out and I said, Hala! I thrust them through until they weren't able to rise and they fell under my feet. And then he said, because Lord, you gave me the strength to do that. Now, friends, I don't know how you need to apply this, so it can be applied in a lot of different ways, but don't miss this part. God does not want the church to, to remain in our holy Sunday huddles, praying and singing and preaching and learning and high-fiving and hugging and fellowshipping. All that stuff's great, but he doesn't want us peeking out the windows wondering where the bad is. Is the bad coming? Is the bad coming against us today? Is the devil out there? Is the world out there? And what's happened in so much of the Western, especially the evangelical church, and I don't think the charismatic segment of the church is doing much better on this, it's this defensive posture where everybody that's not a believer knows what the church is against. Because our main message is what we're against out there. That's what people think of when they think of Christians. And so we've got our long list of moral stuff that we are against and we are fighting against. We don't want it touching our family. We don't want it in our church. We don't want it. And listen, I get that. I understand that that's a part of it. But let me, let me just ask you this. Don't you think it might be wiser if we went out and claimed territory and conquered territory for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? So all that bad stuff out there, instead of it growing and encroaching against us, how about we go and fight it and bring it down so there's less of it to worry about? How about we actually take the sword of the Spirit and, and how about we actually take the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and we go into a world that, yes, is evil and wicked and bad, but it's not the badness and the evil and the wickedness is not stronger than the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy of God. And so David is saying, I went after territory that belonged to me and the enemy was in, it, in the place that God had assigned to me, so I killed the enemy. Now, obviously, lest anybody misunderstand me, I'm not advocating any kind of physical violence against people that are engrossed in sin. I'm talking in the spirit. I'm talking about the reality that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we're literally, we are, our, our main war is to come against principalities and the powers of darkness and how those things anchor and root in territories. And we have to come in the strength of the person of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of the Father. And we have to just say sometimes, hey, look, we're tired of this thing owning our city or this thing owning our family or this thing owning our church or this thing owning the Bible Belt. You have to get to the place where you're like, I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of worrying about it. I'm sick of being on the defense. Let's go do something about it. And I think we're going to see more of that in this generation because one of, one of the things I'm noticing is that uh, so many segments of the church, we are over the way the church has conducted herself for the past 30 or 40 years. And now the culture is no longer accommodating the church. The culture has drawn a line, and we're still w waiting around for the culture. Please like us again. Please like us again. We're Christians. We mean you no harm. Please like us again. And the culture is like, we don't like you. We don't like your message. We don't like your Savior. We don't like the word that you preach. We don't like you. And so the church is going to have to make up its mind. We have to fight in truth and love. And so David's giving us a picture of that. And he said, uh, Lord... I'm not going to play defense. I'm going to go on the offense. And by the way, he secured the lands 
that were around Israel with that exact same strategy. Um, David was a violent warrior. Please remember with me, he's not a Western 20th, 21st century Christian. He is a Bronze Age military warrior king. And God is well aware of the fact that David shed a lot of blood. He's well aware of it. But what David was doing was fulfilling the commission that he had his, at his day, which was to establish the glory of Israel, which in turn would bring glory to the God of Israel. And David did it in his day. But he didn't do it by playing defense. Uh, some in the room, you need to start looking at your battle as God's invitation for you to get proactive about it instead of reactive. Instead of feeling beat and defeated and intimidated all the time, you've got to get into that place where you say, God, I know your will for me is not to cower in fear against this thing that's coming against my life, my family, my, my calling, or any of the things. Lord, this force, this person, this circumstance, I know, Lord, your will is not for me to be in the fetal position on the kitchen floor crying about it all the time. So, Lord, you've equipped me with strength for this battle. You've made my spiritual arms able to break a bow of bronze. Lord, you've given me the ability to overcome. And so, God, I'm going to come out of my hiding fear and going to step out in faith. And, Lord, I'm going to start claiming and reclaiming the territory that's been surrendered to my enemy. So what happens for David? Well, look at his testimony that goes a little further in verse 39 and 40. Look at what happens when David gets proactive. He starts experiencing seasons of reversal. Watch this. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, which means they're running away. And those who hated me, I destroyed. What's interesting for David is he wasn't necessarily interested in picking an unjust fight. There were a couple of times in his recorded testimony where his hot-headed nature got the best of him, but he, he was you know, very quickly brought to repentance in those times, one by Abigail. Talk about a woman that could preach. She preached some wisdom into David and saved him from having a murder on his hands, another murder. And so David would typically not pick an unjust fight, but... When you're living in the day and age that he was living in, he had no choice but to end some fights that were picked against him. And I love the season of reversal concept. It's all throughout the Old Testament especially. He said, God, those who rose up against me, I didn't pick a fight with them, Lord. I didn't go after them. I was going to leave them alone as long as they left us alone. But Lord, those who rose up against me, Lord, you saw it. They sank down underneath me, which means David got on top. He said, you made my enemies who were coming for me turn their backs and run away from me. And Lord, those who decided to hate me, I didn't want to hate anybody, but those who decided to hate me and came against me, Lord, I destroyed. You know, I think some of you are a little bit overdue for a season of reversal. This, I, I believe this. I'm not just trying to encourage anybody tonight because I don't know who's where, but I'm telling you, I sense in my spirit that this is 
we're in it. I don't know how far we're in it, and I don't know how much further we're going to have to go before it becomes so obvious to everybody. But I believe Christians that are pressing in right now, you are in the midst of a beginning of a season of reversal. The things that have owned you, the things that have intimidated you, the things that have bitten into you, God's going to defang some lions in your life, and he's going to give you, uh, make you the head and no longer the tail. But he doesn't do that and when we're in neutral. He does it as we are proactive about taking the territory that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. I want you to be careful how you receive this. I'm not telling you to go out in some carnal cockiness. I'm, I'm saying this in the context of people that are humble before the Lord, kind, gracious, and merciful wherever they can be, people that are on their face praying, seeking the heart of God and hearing people that are casting their care before him, people that are intimate with the Lord ought to come out of those, those pressing in moments of intimacy and they ought to say, God, I believe with all my heart that you have made me the head and not the tail that my destiny is not to become a doormat for lesser powers that come against me, but God, that you've called me to rise up and stand in the faith and the strength and the covenant that you've given me through Jesus Christ because we do have dominion. We are people who are heirs with Jesus Christ. That's not just about going to heaven when we all get there and we get our rewards. He's talking about now. It's, it's not an either or. It's not either we get it now or we get it then. No, it's and both if we will do it God's way. And so some of you ought to give some very serious consideration that this isn't just a Bible lesson about vague principles out there for somebody, but this is a message from God to you telling you, I'm ready to reverse your situation if you're ready to walk it out. And it takes faith. Tell me what he can't do. Tell, tell, tell me a battle he can't win. Tell me a person's heart he can't change. Tell me a circumstance that he can't take what it's standing on its head today and put it right side up on its feet. That's just what he does. And friends, I believe if we'll press in for that, we can experience some of that. And God ordained and provided seasons of reversal for David. He also provided what I call a clear loyalty to David. Now, this is going to mess with some of you, so this will be fun for me because I like messing with you with the word sometimes because it just takes you out of your comfort zone and your presuppositions and makes you think, oh, that's actually in the Bible. So what am I talking about? Well, look, verse 41 and 42. David's talking about the people that opposed him. And what's interesting is you're about to find out these aren't all pagans. These are some of his brethren. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. <laughs> verse 42 what an awkward verse for Christians I beat them fine as dust before the wind I cast them out like the it's mud it's it's basically it's slime I cast them out like the mire of the streets now granted most of David's battles were against pagan nations that were trying to destroy Israel and they would call on their false gods and they would believe and trust in their false gods and they would believe that their daddy was bigger than David's daddy and, and they, they just kept losing. But some of David's battles were not with the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Philistines. Some of David's battles were in his own family. Some of them weren't in his family, but some of them were among the people of Israel who worshipped the same God that David did. 
Now, this is a learning moment for all of us because it's easy for us to know that God's going to give us the victory when we stand in truth against antichrist spirit in the culture. I don't have to worry about certain things in the culture, whether or not God wants me to say this or this. There are just some things in the culture that you can look at and you can say with all the confidence in the world, that's an absolutely antichrist way of thinking. That's an antichrist practice. That is an antichrist uh, philosophy. That's an antichrist uh, way of leading. You just look at the culture. And we've gotten so deep into this nonsensical political correctness and over-diplomacy that Christians are now looking at each other saying, oh, we don't have to say that well does the book say it now you need to be wise about how you say certain things but when truth is in the word and it's undeniable we don't need to have a move a second and a majority vote to find out if we're going to agree with it or not but what do we do when it's not an antichrist culture that's opposing us what do we do when it's not the bad guys what do we do when it's our battles with another believer what do we do when they're praying to God on Monday and screaming at us on Tuesday. What do we do when maybe they, they're telling us that God's for them and God's against us? Well, I can't tell you every single scenario, but I can tell you from David's life that there was something in David's walk that when he was battling other believers, watch this, he always won. He always won. And so when I see a guy who was constantly fought in his family, he was constant, and by the way, some of that was because of his own sin. He's constantly fought by the, the relatives of King Saul, whom David replaces. He's fought by people in his own cabinet when he was the king of Israel. Some of his own royal cabinet would fight him. He was betrayed. Ahithophel, who was his best friend, Psalm 55, you can read it, and he and Ahithophel would go to worship together, and it turns out that his words were smooth as butter, but there was war in his heart. And David always won. Now, wait a second, because wasn't David a murderer? Wasn't he a wife stealer? Didn't he commit some pretty grievous sins? Wouldn't we think that if a guy blew it like David, then he'd never have another victory again. That's what I'm saying. This is where the word of God will stretch you because we like to live by nice, needy presumption, or nice and tidy presumptions. So we think David did some bad stuff, so David probably never won anything after that moment. Well, David's testimony is here. Lord, when I was fighting them, they were calling on you and you didn't answer them. Let me give you a verse. You might want to write this down. If you can't write it down, you can remember it. This verse was one of the first verses that impacted me as a young Christian about my prayer life and about my need to walk in holiness. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Ooh. What does that mean? Let me put it in a modern paraphrase. If I cherish any sin in my heart and then I need to go and call on the Lord, the Lord says, I ain't hearing none of that. That's an intense verse. It's in play right here with David because these people are opposing David, God's anointed leader, 
And David, though he sinned, though David was not perfect, God himself said, that's a man after my own heart. There was something in David that God always looked at and said, David's heart is with me. David's heart is for me. David's heart is like mine. And so there was something when God looked at David, in spite of David's failures, in spite of David's passions and and sins at times, there was something in the posture, the overall posture of David's heart that was surrendered and yielded to God and always wanted God's glory. And so when men came up against David, and David was getting the best of those men because they dared to rise up against them, those men would call out, Yahweh, help us to destroy this king. And the Lord's like, I ain't listening to you. Why? Because there was iniquity in their heart. Because they're going up against the king that God had established. Friends, this is helpful because here's the thing. Uh, One, God has never said over my life, completely encapsulating my life, that Jeff is a man after my own heart. I'm I'm wanting to be that guy, but I'm not going to rest in some declaration that God may or may not have claimed over my life. So what do I need to do? I need to be the guy that doesn't cherish sin in his heart. So that when my battle comes, and sometimes I'm battling, not necessarily, it's never a physical battle, but I'm battling in the spirit another Christian, I need to know that when my prayers go up for victory in this battle, that God's answer is going to come down. And I also need to know that if their prayer goes up for victory in that same battle, that God's silence is going to come down on them. See, we don't like to talk about this because we like, we're, we're part of the everybody gets a trophy generation. Can't we all win? No. We can't all win. We can't all... I don't know why I'm screaming. I'm sorry. But we can't... We, we, we can't... You can't have opposite views on a singular matter and both opposite views be right. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. I've had to come back to this so many times in my walk as a Christian and as a pastor because you may not know this, but pastors occasionally tick off some people. They don't like what we teach. They don't like what we preach. They don't agree with how we said what we said or even what we said they don't agree with. And so you get emails and you get phone calls and you sit through meetings. And there have been many, many times where I've had to look at somebody that loves Jesus. They're saved. They're not evil and wicked and horrible people, but we're, we're in the opposite sides of an issue and I have to look at them, and I have, I've said this so many times over the years, I've said, we both can't be right. One of us is wrong. One of us is right. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. <laughs> I've done that. Now listen, I don't do that in every case. There are other times where I say, you know what, you're bringing up a good point. But when I'm talking about something that I absolutely know I've got the mind of God on or the word of God on, listen, we're sitting in a room today. I'm so far away from my outline now. I'm just kind of going, but just roll with me. I'm having fun. We are in this room today as a church that is established on the authority of the Word of God and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Before a couple of church mergers that we're now all reaping from, this used to be a church that I formerly pastored that was established on the authority of the Word of God but was absolutely rejecting the necessity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I had to go to war for it. 
And I'm telling you, thank God most of you weren't here. Some of you were here during that time period, and it was terrible. And I sat down with men and women, with, sometimes with tears in my eyes, sometimes with tears in their eyes, and I had to come to the place where I said over and over again to people I love, Christians, I had to say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And friends, sometimes that's going to be battles that you're in. And there's going to be something within you that says, I just don't like conflict. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. Sometimes you've got to fight. Because especially if the person that's coming against you is looking for a fight. And sometimes we have to make very hard stands. And what David did was exactly that. And sometimes he had to say, Lord, I'm crying out to you and you're answering me. You're strengthening my hands. You're making my feet to stand on some pretty slippery slopes and I'm giving you the glory for it. And Lord, I remember when they were calling out to you for help and I'm just telling you, God, thank you for the season of reversal. Thank you that you answered my prayers as I sought your heart and you refused to answer their prayers as they gave into their flesh. We have to be careful with how we handle these truths, but I'm telling you, these are truths. Some of you are battling believers. These are people that are very sincere towards the Lord. And there is always the temptation to either go too far in your flesh and make it a carnal battle, and the other temptation is to go to the opposite side of your flesh and give up territory that God is giving to you. So be wise in who you fight, when you fight, and how you fight. Let's get down to the last section here. David ends this intense psalm with a song of praise in the midst of the battle. Here comes the song of praise in the battle and from the battle. So look at what David does, because he's been talking to us about how he's just, he's winning. All he does is win, 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 and here we go. Here's his solidified testimony. He says to God on the back end of his breakthrough and his battle and his winning, you delivered me. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made the head, excuse me, you made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. So David is giving us a historical account of a testimony of relying on the God of his battles and winning and winning and winning and winning. Now here's, here's what's interesting. We've all met Christians that just keep winning. And, and they've just got something on their life and it seems like everything they do works. But we've noticed that with some of those Christians, they develop a little bit of a spiritual strut. They start, whether consciously, subconsciously, they start believing that it's them and not him. And guess what happens when they start believing that? They stop winning. You know why? Because God has declared, I am the Lord God and I will not share my glory with another. And so David is so wise because he's writing a song about all of these victories. He's like, you made my arms strong, you made my feet st stand. You can go back and read the first 19 verses or 29 verses, and it's just more winning. And, and what David does is like, I win so much, I gotta write a song about you. I love that. You know, 
I'm trying not to sound old. Lately, I've been noticing in my preaching, I'm starting to sound like the, an old man. Because I'm starting to look at the younger culture and I'm, I'm seeing things that I just, I don't want to be the old guy, but I do want to be the guy who speaks the truth. You know, a lot of the songs that are written today are all about me. Let me tell you how awesome I am. Let me tell you how many women I have. Let me tell you how much money I've got. Let me tell you how I'm the guy you don't want to mess with. Let me tell you, let me tell you about me. And David is, a, a, is of another spirit. He's like, oh yeah, I'm winning. I mean, you got to think about it. In David's day, nobody had more money. Nobody had more fame. Nobody had more military conquest. There is no greater warrior anywhere in the Bible than King David. He just won and won and won. He goes, oh, this is so awesome. My life is so good. I've just got to write a song about my God. And I love that about him. That's probably one of the reasons God said, yep, I've got his heart. And he's getting my heart. And so David says, you delivered me from strife with the people. When David won, and that's probably a reference to people within his own kingdom, and he had a lot of strife in that kingdom, he's like, God, you, you just gave me victory over the striving people, the people that wanted to fight me, the people that wanted to divide against me, the people that betrayed me. Lord, you just gave me victory over that. And then he goes outside of Israel and says, and Lord, the nations, the surrounding people groups. By the way, I do think this is, this is a somewhat of a prophetic picture of what's, what's going to be the reality when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, when the nations are streaming to him and they're bowing before him, every tongue confessing him as Lord. David is speaking this in his real time, and he says, Lord, the people that I didn't know, they're serving me and they're obeying me. Think about this. The unregarded runt, the little forgotten shepherd boy whose own daddy didn't remember him, is now, as he has followed God in trust and humility and sincerity and faith, here he is many years later, the forgotten, unregarded shepherd boy is now saying, the nations come to me. It's pretty powerful, friends. And there, there is a tendency within us to say, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that could be arrogant, Jeff. That, that could be, listen, let's not apologize for the victories God promises us. Let's, let's not feign humility and say, well, no, 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 I'm, I don't want that much victory. I, I don't want to be that blessed. I, I don't want to really have that kind of power. Well, why not if you're walking with God? Because you're going to use it all for his glory. I want every good thing that the Lord has for me. I want all of it. I, I don't want to pretend I'm some kind of humble, super humble saint by saying, well, I don't want all that God offers me. That wouldn't be right. No, it would be wrong if you didn't take all that God offers you. That would, be, that would be unbelief or sin. And so when we're looking at this and David's like, Lord, just, I can't believe it. These people are coming. They obeyed me. He says, they came cringing to me. So at some point, David's in a military fight. He's marching towards a city. The gates of the city fly open and the mightiest men of that city come running out crying and they lay down before David and they're saying, please spare our lives. And David's like, man, I didn't even get to shoot an arrow. That's favor. That's blessing. That's power. And friends, I do believe at a certain level we should expect that kind of breakthrough in our lives. We need to start expecting God to do the impossible again. So whatever your battle is, can you even conceive that whatever that battle is, that it could actually bow to you? That it could actually tremble in your presence instead of you trembling in its presence? 
that it could start suddenly, instead of growing in your perspective, it could start shrinking because you're looking at God, and when you're looking at God, anything else looks tiny. That's where we need to get. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. And David, and he, he has this enduring humility, too. I'm just about done. Look at what he says. The Lord, verses 46 through 48. Listen to the humility in this. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Do you see this? David is the most powerful man on earth. And in the presence of God, he's like a little boy saying, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. And I guarantee you there were probably people around him saying, Dave, why don't you take a little credit, dude? You're, you're the one who out there, you, you drew up the battle plans. You're the guy that Saul slayed thousands, but David, you, you slayed your tens of thousands. Come on, man. Put your name on some of this victory. And David's like, no, 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 no. It's not about my name. It's not about my reputation. It's not about me. He says, if, if, if my name's going to be cleared or my name's going to be exalted, I want the Lord to do it because he's the only one to know how high to exalt it, when to exalt it, and how, how, how to keep it from going too high to where I couldn't handle it. And so David just says, you're my blessed rock. I exalt you because you're the one who provides my deliverance and my salvation. Lord, it's you that gave me vengeance. Lord, it's you that subdued the peoples under me. Lord, it's you, verse 48, who rescued me from all of my enemies. Now, now don't forget, David always won. Didn't mean he won every single swing of the sword. There were some battles where he had to recoup and, and regather and go back, but the end of every war he ever fought, he won. He didn't die on the battlefield, and he fought more battles than anybody. You know what he did? He died at the ripe old age, and he died at home. His enemies never got him. They tried his whole life to get him, and he won every time. Can you conceive that that kind of anointing could be on your life? Listen, it's all about heart posture. Because I believe this with, with all of my heart, that if we'll just stay loyal and faithful and close to the one who calls us and loves us and equips us and shows us the territory that's assigned to us, then we're going to win. It doesn't mean we won't be fought. You can't win unless you're fought. The absence of a battle is not a victory. That's what happens on the sidelines. There's no battle on the sidelines, but there's also no victory on the sidelines. And so David says, you delivered me from all of this, and I just love his humility. If you're in a season of winning, you better go low. Man, go low. Don't, don't appreciate people, but... Man, don't listen to all the good stuff they're saying to you about you. Just don't. Most of us can only handle just a little bit of that. Let God validate you. Let God speak identity over you. But when people are over there saying, you're awesome. You're awesome. We love you. You're the man. You're the man. You are, you are a dynamic woman. You are awesome. You're amazing. Pretty soon, your flesh will start saying, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Could you say that again? What was that? If you're winning, go low. Go low. Just go low, man. It's so much better there anyway. 
You go low and you hear the whisper of the Lord in your ear. I'd rather be on my face hearing the validating whisper of the Lord than to be standing up on my feet saying, speak to me of my greatness. Last two verses. Look how David ends. This is his, he just stays intentionally singular in his focus. He says, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. <laughs> Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. <laughs> David's written this whole 50-verse song about all this awesome stuff that had happened in his life. And when he gets down to the end, he's like, Really, what I, I just love more than anything is I just love to write songs about you. I just like writing songs. He's a mighty warrior, crushed it on the battlefield. But I believe with all my heart that though he was a warrior, David never lost his sense of being a contemplative, a thinker, a creative, a musician, and a worshiper. When you think of David, yes, you can think warrior, but I'm going to tell you, when I think of David, I don't primarily think warrior. I think worshiper. And here we are centuries later, some 3,000 years later, and we're talking about the song he wrote that day. This is the, He's saying, I, I, I will sing to you. He writes this song, he sings it, and here we are, foreigners, we are, from most of us, from the Gentile realm. And in a completely different world, David could have had no idea that as he wrote this song of praise to the God of his battles, that you and I, some 3,000 years later, on the other side of the world that David didn't even know about, in a completely different paradigm of reality, technologically, industrially, advanced, and we're over here talking about the song he wrote for his God that day. That's what can happen. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet tonight. If you're hungry for breakthrough and if you're hungry for a season of reversal, if you, maybe some of you, I feel like some of you want to believe that what was spoken tonight is true for you, I'm just going to tell you to go ahead and believe it just going to tell you to go ahead and believe it. If your heart's pure, if your heart's not pure, get your heart pure. God's not interested in probation. He does pardons. So you don't got to work it off for four weeks before you can expect God. You can repent and just say, God, I'm humbling my heart before you right now. And then expect him to be the God of your battle. Expect victory. Expect breakthrough. Expect reversals. And keep pressing in to the God who just is constantly calling us closer and closer to himself. So if that's you tonight, would you just bow your head, put your heart in a re receiving posture. I just, I actually feel like I'm supposed to, to bless you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, for every man and woman and young person in this room that is convinced that you're good enough, to believe you for breakthrough right now in this season. Reversal in this season. The crushing of opposition 
in this season. The equipping for battle, the resources to win in this season. Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ in each of their lives, I bless them in the name of Jesus for his glory with a yes and amen to all that's been spoken. In Christ's name, amen.